searching for answers that aren't here to mutt and jeff <clears throat> which one gets to be mutt tweedledee and tweedledum he I'm, says that every time and i'm d yeah well welcome back to friday live we are kind of back in the studio <clears throat> so affectionately called as my office but uh we're doing some redecorating and moving some stuff around but uh we are at least back in it today um how you doing tim i'm a little whipped there was a deer that tried to attack me on 19 yesterday and my truck jumped out in front of me to to save me and <laughs> got tore up in the process of Man. taking the deer out well so you're okay though yeah i'm all right i mean anything like that's still a little stunning but yeah uh probably more inconvenient than anything Fair but enough. uh such is life and the lord's still good so he is that <laughs> Um, today we are talking about, if you got, if you ever actually follow along in your Bible, we're in Genesis 13 and second Peter, um, what chapter two, I uh, guess. chapter two, verse, uh, seven. So, and we'll, we'll read that in a little bit, but one of the things that we always like to talk about, we're going to continue talking about today is looking at, at, at how God deals with people and things and, and how we respond and how he works through things as best we can. And, uh. But the goal in that is to learn more about his nature, his character, and how the kingdom works its way out in the world and in our lives. Is that a fair statement? It is, but I'm even starting to rethink, not rethink that. I'm, I'm, I mean, when it comes right down to it, and I'm looking at myself, I mean, I'm messed up. <laughs> and uh, my thoughts get messed up. I mean, uh, as I read all these people we've been talking about, we've been teaching in uh, a church in Athens, and and uh uh we talk about uh how uh kingdom vision you know and as a human you start thinking okay well if i see what it is then i can start doing those things and there is some truth in that right however that doesn't mean that you can figure god out and uh uh if you could you wouldn't need him so that's a that's that's kind of a, a side deal there and so we've talked about lot before uh mostly just as an example of when you read uh, uh genesis 13 there you know there even before that there was a place where uh he was abraham's nephew yeah. right and so lot went with him when abraham went down into the land that god called him to go into and at some point or another they started having some some difficulties i'm not thinking oh they weren't beating each other up or talking bad about each other not the that land kind of, the land wouldn't sustain both of them they yeah god had really kind of blessed them so much they were running out of room to feed the cows and the sheeps and the goats and all right. that stuff together and uh abraham this this is relevant it's not just the story uh abraham who is pretty far along in his relationship with who god is and just walking by faith, he tells Lot, look, just look around here and you pick. And wherever you go, I'll go the other way. Because he wasn't worried about what he wound up with. Lot looked up and he saw the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah was, which is a lush, green, great place. And I don't know how old Lot was at the time. Uh, I figure there was some youthful, you know, oh, that looks like a great place over there. <laughs> 
and Abraham had been around long enough. He was like, every place is a great place to me. Right. <laughs> so, so off lot goes. And we get into Genesis 13. There'd been a conversation before that where uh, God shows up at Abraham's house with two of his henchmen. That, yeah, that sounds kind of yeah, bad, don't, doesn't don't it? don't call angels henchmen, bro. Well, I guess from people looking at it perspective and what they ended up doing, <laughs> he, he God brought a couple of his leg breakers with him, and they got and they get into a conversation with Abraham, and Abraham figures that out. You know, you're going down there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham wasn't an idiot. He knew what went on there. Right. right. And he probably struggled with that, with Lot living there, I'm sure. Anyway, I'm just saying it from human nature. Uh, and having my own kids, they've gone and lived inside of some, you know, culture or whatever it is. You start sweating that load. Mostly because I'm looking at it and going, I didn't equip them. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other story, but it is slightly relevant. And so uh, Abraham's like, look, Lord, if there's any righteous people down in, he didn't come right out and say, hey, will you take care of Lot, please? Yeah. Which, which confuses me a little bit, but he, he didn't. I guess because he might have felt embarrassed of the fact that Lot was there, he might have taken felt like he had some responsibility in that. Well, but at the same time, and that's that's easy to say with hindsight. Well, I, yeah, I don't because because when they when he's when they got there, he said go left or go right. He was willing to go there himself. Mm. So I don't think that he was looking at Sodom at least at the outset of and saying, I can't make it there. No, neither of us should go there. He's Maybe like, he didn't know what was going on there at the time. Yeah, the that, that, that's out. a good point. Or hadn't paid attention to it. You who, know, I don't. Who know. knows? Who knows? Their social media was probably down. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I'm not telling you that he knew what was going on there uh, in this conversation with God, but he knew it was a messed up place, or he wouldn't have had that conversation. Right. You know, if there's 50 righteous people there, will you save the city? Yeah, I'll say. Counts it. down. And he starts counting down. Uh, he, and he, it's like he's got something to say, but he doesn't want to say what it, what's really, right. what's really bugging him. At any rate, God says, yeah, I got it. And you know what? When you read that, I've read that a million times, and I just assumed that uh, God went down there with him, but he didn't. Mm -mm. It was the two leg breakers that went. And so now we're where Lot is, right? And so Sodom and Gomorrah was a bad place. And we read that in the pages, and we just go, oh, yeah, that was a bad place. But the fact is, is we live in bad places. I mean, Martin's Mill probably could be, depending on what position and where you're at, and I'm not down, I'm not bad-mouthing anybody. But I've lived in Austin. Uh, I've been all through California. Uh, I've, I've been in the, what we would right here have a normal conversation going, that looks like Sodom and Gomorrah over there. And uh, uh, and I want to preface all this to say I'm not here bad-mouthing people that struggle with homosexuality and that kind of stuff. But with that said, the Bible talks about that that's, that was what was going on there. And I don't want to get people looking and saying, oh, I'm talking about homosexuality. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a town that had degraded and left God for so long yeah. That they, what had happened to them was, is God did what he talks about in Romans 1. You, you reject me long enough, I'm going to let you go to yourself. Yeah. And that's a picture of revelatory kind of stuff where if God pulls himself out, 
the creation, I almost see like he pulls his DNA out of it. The spirit's gone. It's going to take a nosedive. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's important to interject here, too. It's, I think we minimize, even in the unbelieving community, the power, the restraining power that the Holy Spirit has. Oh, yeah. That God has on, on wicked and on evil and, and as saved bad. Saved or unsaved. Yeah, as bad as it is, there's, there is restraint yeah. on, on the evil, even in places like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, so all I'm doing is I'm not trying to down talk any place, but it was an evil place. I mean, the scripture says it was, and it was. Right. And uh, so the two angels show up over there. Nobody recognizes them for what they are. Now, they came in human form, evidently. But whoever they were, Lot's at the beginning is the entrance of the city, and he recognizes those guys just like Abraham recognized who they were when the conversation started back at his house. And so uh, he recognizes that, they are, that they're holy, and it says that in there, that he went and he fell down at their feet. Right. Uh, so that tells us a little something about Lot. And I've been studying about him a little bit uh, here the last week or so uh, in, in efforts of studying other things, actually, but I started studying about this. And I guess the thing that shook me up was I saw a lot of myself in there. And so Lot is a guy that understood and could grasp the things of the kingdom. And he probably got it from hanging around with his uncle. Mm, yeah. Right? Uh, he spent a lot of time with, with Abraham. And it, and it started making me think of my own family. And I'm not talking bad about my family. I'm just, this, this is from my perspective of really how I probably have felt like I have failed them in some degree or something like that. See them go through struggles and such in life. And I'll, I'm wearing a responsibility when I watch them do that because I'm going, I didn't, right. I didn't prepare them. I didn't get it. In some ways, I, and in my, you know, it's like I got bipolar on one end. I'll flip on the other side and go, well, I know I did. <laughs> so yeah. uh, in reality, what's happening is, is they're working through life and God is working them. Anyway, right. Uh, so Lot understood the things about the kingdom, yet he lived in an absolute despot, uh, culture right and i guess what i'm what i'm thinking is is he had to m accept some of that stuff on a certain level you mean accept in terms of either approving of the behavior or at least just tolerating the behavior or maybe some of both gotcha because we do delude I know I have. What do you mean you do? Well, you know, I can be really close to the Lord. I can study regular. I can do all that kind of stuff. And then uh, not to be studied. Well, yeah. But I'm trying to know the, who the Lord, who my Lord is as I watch all this stuff, right? But if I start pushing that stuff away or I get occupied and prefer to do other things, there's nothing wrong with taking a break. I, I don't think that there is. The danger in it is, is when either one, you start thinking, I got it going on. I don't need to spend any time there, really. Or you start enjoying doing other things, and it gets further and further away. That doesn't mean God's left. Don't mean it like that. Right. 
but when I get in those senses, I start finding that I am more accepting about things I see somebody do or being or whatever it is. And, I'm, ah, and I'll justify it off somehow or another that that's ah, not a big deal. Not as big yeah. a deal as I thought it would have been, you know, back when I was doing whatever. And so I'm not even saying that's what Lot did, but I am trying to justify how did he do that? And why do I even come that he might be bothered with it? And that's the second Peter seven thing. All right, let's just go over there. And so uh, there's a broader context here that I'm not getting into. But in verse seven, Peter says, and if God rescued righteous Lot, and he listen to that title, righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, those were the guys that were trying to beat down the door to, mm -hmm. to have sexual homosexual relations with the the angels that were there. Uh, sensual, uh, oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men, in parentheses it says, for by what Lot saw and heard, Lot, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. He, he purposely puts the term righteous individual in like four places in one sentence. Now, we don't read anything about Lot past Genesis and all that stuff until we get here. And so we're way down the road, right? Well, how would Peter know any of this? Because he was a, you know, he's the uneducated one of the bunch. Uh... So you either have to accept the fact that he's either humanly explaining this off so that his text works right, or you believe that the Spirit of the Lord had put that into him. Right, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing two things here. We're talking about Lot and what's going on here, but we're talking about the, the, the validity of the Word too, right? And so I have to believe that the Lord did that. That's, that's, how, right. the, that's how the text and context talk about things in the Scripture, right? And so... It's not that Peter thinks he's righteous. I See, think that God saw him as righteous. Well, and it's not just that he saw him. I think it's important to note that our righteousness before God is a declarative positional righteousness. And what, what that means is, in, in, I guess, less academic terms, is he was righteous because God said he was. Yeah. And that's hard for us to stomach a lot of times because we want to, our righteousness to be because of what we've done or how hard we've worked. And Paul will tell us over and over again, on your best day, not your <laughs> worst day, but your best day, your righteousness is worthless. Your righteousness is worthless. But it's his righteousness, and that's why the doctrine of imputation is so important. And, you know, so what does imputation mean? Yeah. It means Jesus takes his righteousness. I always used to do like It's like he puts a blanket over us. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees that blanket. And that blanket is the righteousness of Christ. And we can be righteous because he has declared us to be so. And I think in Second Peter, the Holy Spirit is declaring righteous or lot righteous. And it flies in our face because outside of Second Peter 7, we go back to Genesis 13 and 14 when he has, is duped into relations with his daughters daughter and and we go there's no way that dude's righteous yeah so let's back up on that so 
Can't read all the story, but Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, God comes to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and Lot's family is here. And uh, the angels are coming in, and, and Lot, Lot knows what's going on in this culture, so he's trying to get these guys in his house because he knows what's going to happen. So apparently anybody knew that walked into Sodom and Gomorrah was going to get raped. He pulls them in there, and he tells the townsmen that, you know what, I got two daughters that are still virgins, and uh, uh, I'll give them to you. Leave these guys alone. Right. So he's trying to defend the kingdom, for lack of a better way to say it, uh, like he could do that. And uh, uh, so Lot doesn't give him his daughters. The guys come in, they spend the night, and then they tell him, we're destroying this place. You need to get out of here. Right. And, and uh, Lot, I don't know, kind of fusses with him, for lack of a better way to say it. But he gets them out. He gets his family out. And they end up in the mountain somewhere. The city gets destroyed. He and the angel said, "Don't even look back. Take off right. running and don't." And that was a literal statement. Don't yeah. even look back. Yeah. And his wife stops somewhere in sentimentality and turns around, and she turns into a pillar of salt. They end up in mountains somewhere where it's just Lot and his daughters. And his daughters have this conversation with each other. Now listen, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Lot had a grasp of the kingdom. He recognized it when he saw it. Yep. Uh, the scriptures tell us that he was... Uh, 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 the scriptures tell us that uh, uh, he was tormented. We just read all that, right? Right. But his family couldn't discern that. Right. And because they lived in the culture. And I'm not telling you, Sodom and Gomorrah might have been a beautiful place. We probably look at it like, you know, 16th century London where there was <laughs> refuse all over the streets and people actually wore shoes with platforms on them so they wouldn't walk around in the feces and pig guts. And it's a nasty, nasty, nasty mm, place. Wonderful times. And that's probably how we would think Sodom and Gomorrah looks, right? But it must not have been that way. That was home to them. And we see that, you can say, well, his wife was, you know, some hard-headed, wanted her own way. Maybe she was. But whatever it was, she turned around to look where she was coming from. And then uh, his daughters. So here's the conversation with the daughters. They're in the cave, and they start reasoning. Hey, everybody we've ever known is gone now. How are we ever going to be able to have a family? And because if you start reading that and you're pursuing Christian on your own terms, you're automatically looking at them and thinking they're floozies and worthless and all that. You got to back up a little bit and see why would they even think like that? Well, all they've ever known is where they lived at in there. Right. And I don't know if Lot taught them or not. My self righteousness tells me that that he just never said anything to him about mm -hmm. it. Uh, because it was inconvenient, it would have put him in a bad place with the community, you know, however all that works out. And I know those things to be true to some degree. But his daughters start reasoning this thing out. How are we going to have families if we don't? Oh, I got an idea. Let's get Papa drunk, and we'll go have sex with him, and then we'll get pregnant, and we'll have our family. Yeah. And and that even sound. I mean, it's hard to even tell that story. Well, but it's important to, to, to talk about. And in the moment and in the time, like you said, it's, we know a lot about psychology and development and all the things now that they didn't know back then. 
and it'd be hard to interject into that culture. But what we do know through science and observation is, is that even the moral bend of a person is set to some degree in those early, early years, those first yeah. four to five years. Um, and, and I can tell you from, from having been a foster parent and things, the older the kids are that you get, the harder it is to undo some of the behaviors that they've observed, maybe even been a recipients of. Yeah. And they weren't positive things. They were negative things, but it's, it somehow works its way, not just into their DNA as it were, but into their thinking patterns. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've even physiologically in, in dealing with Brenna and things, we've had, um, therapists who will, because Brenna's brain is, is so damaged and there's pieces missing of it. There's things they can do to rewire the actual neural net things to get the brain parts of the brain that aren't in charge of XYZ process to actually run XYZ process. And, and a lot of that's tied up in the development. Well, trauma is the same way. It jacks up the neurons. It actually changes the way that the brain functions. And by having observed that it's not, a big stretch for me to even look at his daughters and go, well, of course they thought that way because they were steeped in thinking that was outside of. It's probably normal thinking. It was them. normal thinking. I had a doctor ask a doctor something one time. I don't even remember what the question is, was, but it was like, is that normal? And he was an older doctor and he kind of just thought for a second. He says, well, it's not common, but for you, it's normal. And that stuck with me, just that statement of, for us, it's not normal, and it might not even be common, but for them, it was normal. Depraved thinking was just something that they were used to seeing, and for them, it had become normal. I don't know that there was a overt, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're thinking about doing this, because I wonder how many times they had seen it done. So... And what was godly can become unknown of God. Right. It's even here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, so my brother lives in California, and he's a Christian. And he said that one of the reasons he stays there is, is because he runs across people commonly every day that have no clue who Jesus is. They think it's a bad word. Wow. Really? They don't know. And... uh uh so we're we're standing here talking through all this stuff yeah. and it seems like we're getting a little far out but we're not a lot has always been an enigma to me because i look at what he did and what went through his family and i'm just okay he's the head of the family so he's the guy i'm looking at you know to yeah. judge and then i go read what peter says here who's one of my big mentors in the scripture and i have to take it on face value that well, you know what? Lot was jacked up, but so was his uncle. The other side of this thing is, is that all the science we can prove and how people are and all that kind of stuff, ain't nothing that the Lord can't work through and work out. Exactly. So I want you to keep that in mind. But it still has to do with what I think, where it says work out your salvation with fear and mm -hmm. trembling. 
I read a guy like Lot, and I see what happened to his family, and I can see places where I have ignored things that I knew I should have done at the time, and I didn't. Yeah. For inconvenience or uh, fear or whatever the emotion was. And the results really do happen. And, and it's it, easy in those moments to be like, I'm the most worthless parent. I'm the most worthless Christian. Well, it even starts going, I, I can't pursue the ministry because I'm, yeah. I'm not right. I can't. Uh, so I, I guess the end of it is, you know, I'm afraid to say, you know, I can kind of identify with Lot. And some people may look at that and go, oh, you're a perverted idiot. No, not really, but I can see how you would come to that conclusion. Well, and it's and we get so hung up on the specifics of what he was exposed to, what his kids were exposed to in the environment, but deeper than that is a mindset. Okay, so take out yeah. the take out the sexual promiscuity of the story and put in fill in the blank, whether it's familiarity with the occult in our culture. Um, you know, fill in the blank with the familiarity that even amongst Christians of violence, yeah. you know, uh, and, and so, so take it to a different realm. Um, it, it's the familiarity that's the issue in, in the original story. The crisis of faith comes in when Peter, all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, says Lot is righteous. But the focus of what Peter's telling us in that, of even bringing it up is what's important. Yeah. The reason he even brings it up, he says, if God could save that guy, yes. if God can work with that guy, if God can declare that guy righteous, well, who is that guy? Why is that important? Because that guy let his family become so familiar with utter perversion, it led to an ancestral relationship, a destruction of an entire region, yeah. and if that guy, can be declared, rescued, and pulled out and declared righteous. What does he say there in verse 9? Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. Yeah. The contrast is this. <laughs> and, and though he declared him righteous, I think in verse 9 he's saying he is righteous by declaration from, the, from God, but he's also ungodly in his behavior. Yeah, and that's... That's the right way to look at it. That's that's the right term. Um, I mean, there's all there's a thousand different subjects you could come up through uh, trying to look at this and analyze, you know, where I stand or where you stand or how we should walk, talk, and act. And uh, you know, one of mine is is judgment. So I'm not softer, but I don't judge people as much. I actually have some homosexual people that. I am mentoring or have mentored by their hand, not mine. I didn't really go pursuing them. But they know exactly how I feel about it because I I tell them, I said, because I think a homosexual can be saved. <laughs> Boy, that that fire up a lot of people. But there is a limit where God is going to commune and deal with them because they're just absolutely refusing. But so can a drunkard, so can a thief, so can... Uh, a rebellious child. Well, and so can the deacon. Yes, who's absolutely holding on to bitterness and anger over blah blah blah. Fill in the blank, you know. And so we we always want to focus on what we would consider the the just vehemently horrible sins. Yeah. Okay, of promiscuity or or perversion, or whatever. Righteously so, but we like to gloss over 
the other ones that we tend that we I call them our pets. Well, but see, it's the pets that got Lot in trouble. It's exactly right. And so that you're right. So you're look we're looking at all this stuff, and what's this? What's the salvation in all this? How do you get your mind right? How do you? overcome the blahs or try to get rid of perpetual sin that's involved in there and all that. And that's kind of where all this is going, or to me. And it's like what we talked about when we discussed Peniel. Sometimes we'll look at God and we'll go, oh, I see what that means as far as righteousness. And then you start producing that righteousness. You work to be that way. Nothing wrong with that. But then it's almost like you get to a point where you you expect that righteousness to be done by someone else, even when you're not doing it all the time. Right. And you can even look God in the face and say, well, you're not doing it right, because if you did, you'd be doing it like you said here and what this looked like. Right. And that's where you can't grasp a hold of how God does things. If that was the case, Lot wouldn't be counted as righteous. Well, the Pharisees had the same problem. They had the law. They had the Torah. These were the oracles of God handed down, do it this way. And in fact, we, we learned, and I'll talk about this Sunday, God told Moses, do it just right. Yeah. Write this down just like this. And so, and that's a growing part. So yeah. I don't want to get nebulous here in your walk. You're going to learn things, and you're going to try to pursue them right. and be them and do them. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't forget the fact that those things in themselves are not what makes you righteous. It was what he did exactly. and he is doing. Well, and, and when Jesus came on and started doing things that were against the law, eating on the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, eating the showbread. I mean, even, and David did that too, but those sorts of things that broke out. And then, so the Pharisees were like, were telling God incarnate, you can't do that. Yeah. When he healed, when he healed the paralytic, or was it Bartimaeus? No, it was, I think it was the paralytic. They got healed on the Sabbath and they got mad not they weren't rejoicing that there was somebody was healed they were angry because it was done on the sabbath and that's not the way god does things. it wasn't done the way that they they expected. and at that point they're interpreting to god how it's supposed to be done and that in itself is a ridiculous scene but i find myself there more than i would like to think right and you know and i love i love the second peter passages because the whole the whole thing is he's is he's the section's talking about what do we do with false teachers and those sorts of things um, and, and it's this idea that, yes, and, and if you, you read on, he's he calls these bold and arrogant people. They're slanderers. Um, they slander the glorious ones. But then he says, however, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before yeah. the Lord. And there's this understanding in Second Peter for me that, that we, we boil down to all the time is what you do in holiness and righteousness is extremely important. But it also has this divine tension in it of that can't become what you worship. You're righteous because of what Jesus did and because of the declaration that God says you are righteous. Now go walk in that declared righteousness. Yeah. We like to get the cart before the horse and say, how do you become righteous? How do I become like righteous lot? Well, you got to do all the things. He says, no, God declares you righteous by your faith. Now go live according to that righteousness. Does that make sense? It does, and I can see the person that's going, I have to live and act like these, because it's real easy to look at Lot and say, well, it's pretty simple if he looked at his family and he looked at his surroundings and he goes, you know what? we got to get out of here. Yeah. Or he, or actually he would go, I'm taking you guys out of here, because they'd probably come out kicking and screaming anyway. 
Uh, and maybe he should have. I don't know because that's not where the story was, but I do know that I've been in conditions and places where I have come to a conclusion like that. We have to get out of here. We cannot stay here. Even if it beats me to death financially. Yeah. I have actually left a really good job because I caught myself looking at another woman, not necessarily in lust and that kind of stuff, but even just wondering, I wonder what life would have been like with her if I'd have chose her back then. And it was like one of those, can't do that, not going to do that. And I mean, I walked off of a job one day because I caught myself like that. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. It scared me to death. Scared that that was in you. Yeah. 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 It was just a stupid, I don't even want to use the term innocent thought, but it was just a fleeting. It was a fleeting thought that didn't mean anything. I could have stayed there and kept working and all that stuff. And it, where I'm at now and all that, if something hit me like that, it's one of those that I could capture really quick and get rid of it. Uh, there was nothing happening to make it happen, all of those kind of things. You know, it was just a dumb, stupid, fleeting thought. But it did. It scared me to death, and off I ran. And uh, some people would go, well, that's great. That's what you should have done, maybe. Well, I don't know, because it, 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 it choked me pretty hard financially doing that. Uh, I'm glad I did it. <laughs> right. But what's the judgment? I have to know this or I can't pursue God or I'm going to be hindered from doing for pursuing God. And I don't think that's how it works. I think for me at the time, that's probably what it is what I needed to do. Yeah. But it's not a judgment that I'd look at somebody and say, that's something you have to have happen. So, anyway. well, I think it's important to note and we got to land this too. We It's time to, to wrap it up. But in second Peter, he talks in mean, talking about rot a lot. It says, number one, he was distressed by the behavior. Yes. And the, and the moral behavior. That's a declaration, uh, not a declaration, but a... Well, that a, means uh, to me he knew what was going on around him and he... And he knew it wasn't okay. Yeah. And and he, was, he wasn't he was just disapproving. He was vexed. I think the King James says his, his righteous soul was vexed. He was tormented by what he saw. And it says in that... But what made him stay? See, that's, that's the, that's and the that, thing. And that, that I don't know. That we can't know. Well, everything that I've been talking about here is on that part. Yeah. I'm Well, I can, you know, he, maybe he enjoyed the freedom to go do something and not be judged, even though he knew it was wrong. Yeah. But people are guilty of that stuff all the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And, so anyway, and, you, you know, know. Well, well, I just, I was, I was just saying that if what he's saying in second Peter is, is if God can keep lot in that horrible situation, he can keep you in your trials. That's what the context is. Yeah. That's what saying. the context is. Is and I, and I don't want to lose that either because a lot of times we think God can't handle this situation and if He could, it wouldn't be as bad as it is. And He's making the contrast here of like as bad as it may get. In the con the overall context of even that is false teaching. Yeah. Is yeah we got to guard against it and all the kind of things. But where's your faith and your trust really at? Yeah. Is it in God or is it in your ability to make sure nothing enters the, Ooh, the room? Yeah, that's the big one right there. Because we get into this idea of it, there's a balance of, all right, I want to be, I don't want to be like Lot and just stay put and absorb it all. At the same time, you maybe he couldn't leave. 
We always look at it like he had mobility, but I've been in communities right now. There is no mobility. They can't financially, they can't, where are they going to go? They're either going to live there in this rotten place with a house and a job that's nearby because they don't have a car, or they're going to leave that rotten place and be homeless because they don't have the financial means to do anything. That's a whole different deal. So maybe he couldn't leave. I don't know. Yeah. But you can flip that coin go both ways. Let's just say for the sake of conversation, he couldn't leave. Well, maybe you're in a position and you're in a place where there's rottenness growing all around you. You live downtown Chicago and that's where you are and you can't get out. What do you do? Oh, I'm going to go down in flames like Lot. Well, you don't have to if you're declared righteous by God. Now, the thing that I would walk away from that is, is in that situation, let's just say Lot couldn't leave for sake of conversation. And he saw what was going on around him. And we don't know how he interacted with his kids. We don't know if he taught them and they rejected. That's possible. Oh, that's, that's true. And we don't know what he modeled. But what we do know is, is Peter says, even in, he's almost putting it in the worst case scenario, God kept Lot as a righteous man. And the, the admonition is, is if you may be in the worst possible spot, making the worst possible decisions with the worst possible hand God could give you, but he can still keep you in it. Yeah. And so when yeah. the trials come, when the false teaching, and, and I would even admonish if you're a pastor hearing this and you're like, okay, so somebody in your church has got a little weird teaching going on. <laughs> Address it, talk to it, train it, shepherd it. But don't freak out about it. Yeah. Because even in that, God knows how to keep the righteous righteous and to keep the unrighteous under punishments. What he says. Yes. He, Mother, Mother Singleton at the gates was saying this the other day. He knows how to take care of his business. <laughs> and I, to me, I walk away from this talking about Lot is we are such a reactive creature. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen here? And we think that we've got to get the scenario set just right or God can't move. The music's got to be good. You know, yeah, we, we yeah. can't have any squalling babies. We can't have this. We can't have the lighting's got to be just right. Fill in the blank. I mean, everybody's got their own flavor. Um, or my family's got, for my family to get to where they need to be, all of this has got to, they got to go to college. We got to have a 401k. We got to have this. We got to have that. Well, what if none of that happens? Are you just screwed? I yeah. think Second Peter's saying, no, God can, if if God can keep Lot, a righteous man, in that cesspool, even when the wheels came off of it afterwards, he lost his wife. His, had this, even in all of that, God can keep him. He can keep you. That's the that's kind of yeah. the takeaway that I get from it. Tonight. Well, and that that's the end of what I've been looking at through all this is. It is an encouragement. Yeah. I don't want to be like that. Whatever I see may be something I'm I'm attributing to what I see him doing and how he did it. But the fact that he kept him like that, I don't mean in the situation necessarily, but eternally kept him like that. Even if it was just because Abraham had prayed for him like that. Yeah. God was willing to do it. Yeah. And if he's willing to do that with him, he can do it with all of us and not can do it. He will do it. Just pursue the Lord the best you can with the, with the strength that he gives you to possess to do that. And know you can stumble, mess up, fall apart, come back again, and he still moves it. Well, and another great example, and I'll, I'll give you this and we'll wrap up, was Job, first part of Job. 
Job's kids weren't following God either, mm. any more than Lot's were. And Job is over and over again declared a righteous man. But what did Job do? He gave sacrifices on their behalf just in case they were acting fools. Okay? <laughs> I, and there's, you can have all these theological debates about, well, you can't do this for the... I, that's what I'm talking about. My point is, is they weren't doing the deal. He knew what the deal was. And he's like, God, I don't know. I can't make them do it, but this is my best shot at covering them. You yeah. know? And God declares him over and over and over again as a righteous man. Yeah. And so our admonition is keep stumbling forward. Yeah. Just keeps if you're stumbling, keep stumbling forward. And that's why we are constantly saying, take a hold of the robe of God and put your face in his face. Because you may be in a situation like Lot where the literally the world around you is going to hell in a handbasket, literally. And your family may be on the gravy train with it. And it may be some of your fault for decisions you've made, places you went, and things we didn't do. I, I can look at my own life and family, and, and there there's some train wrecks back there. And they're absolutely mine to bear. But that doesn't mean that we can't continue to stumble forward and that yeah. God can't keep us in our declaration of righteousness and then also use us. Yeah. And I, yeah. You know, to me, I walk away well, from he's that. he's going to use you anyway. He's going <laughs> to use you anyway. And when it's all said and done, everybody gets to be a tool. Yeah. And and I don't mean that in a negative way. It gets to be an agent of, of the king. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? No. We probably got a little deeper in all this than we needed to, but you know what? What we did right here today, that's what we actually do quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Working through stuff. Um I don't have a whole lot else to share with you today other than I hope you just stay pressing into the Lord. Go go to church somewhere this weekend. Yeah. Um if you're able-bodied and can get up and go, go be with the brethren today, uh, this weekend. Um, you know, if you're not able-bodied, then check in online or whatever as much as you can. But even if it's just one person, get with somebody that that is a believer and just fellowship and let the iron sharpen the iron and be in the good fellowship of somebody this week. Uh, go to your church. Be an encouragement to your pastor this week. Um, we're in November, which is no longer Pastor Appreciation Month. But maybe you'll still appreciate him in November. Yeah. And uh, you know, and your leadership team, and tell them you you appreciate what they do, and those sorts of things. Uh, what does that have to do with a lot? Nothing. It's just something's on my heart to tell you to remind you to do. Yeah, very good. Um, as always, share the podcast um, on your social media if you can, and if you're willing to, um, like it, all those kind of things. Pray about uh, possibly uh, becoming a financial partner with us um, at thecrucibleofire.org forward slash donate if the lord would lead you to that uh, please don't take anything away from anybody else to do that but uh, if the lord were laid on your heart we would appreciate it be in prayer for us for a mexico trip coming in the spring lord willing and we are looking first part of june to do a three-day kingdom vision conference more details to come just keep us in your prayers about that um, as we move forward if you ain't got anything else good i'm good y'all take care of a great afternoon Bye now. thanks a lot